The theme for the afternoon talk is the doer, D-O-E-R. And in the tradition of uh, exploration of the inner life, particularly here in this country, the state, the condition, the nature of the doer is of great primary interest. The word in the Sanskrit is kata, K-A-R-T-A, the doer, to look into the doer. What is the doer? Who is the doer? What is the doing? And any worthwhile, meditative, reflective activity will at some point, for all of us, have to take note of the doer. So I would like to give some exploration of this with you uh, this afternoon and just draw on some of the features uh, of it, both from the conventional sense and from the deeper sense. It's a pity the conventional is not the deeper, but... Everyday life, everyday mind, east, west, north, south, there is a tremendous emphasis on being and becoming a doer. And this reflects itself in many of the messages which are given to us as we grow up. Certainly as we get into education. The whole area of work, career, accomplishment is again a further reminder to us of how much there is the solidification of the doer. Not surprisingly, therefore, we regularly measure ourselves by what? By what we have done or what we haven't done or what we should do or what we are doing in the present. So in the responses that take place with the inner life there's a lot of thought and coagulation meeting together, forming together of the concept of the construct of the self in the form of the doer. And any caring, inquiring human being she, he, we surely will need to stop and take a look And we actually ask ourselves, what am I doing? And my task in a very general way, what am I doing with my life? I might ask myself, what are the thoughts that arise within myself of what I plan to do? So there's a movement of perception inside, feeling, thought, an idea arises there is a connection between between the feeling, the perception, the thought and the idea, maybe some communication with others. It may follow through and thus I am doing something. Therefore I, whoever the I is, I become an agent for an action. And once you and I become the agent for the action, there will be, to some degree or another, some result of what I do. I might think and I might believe 
that I am in control of what I do. I will say to myself and to uh, others with great conviction, I have chosen to do this. And sometimes the force of circumstances of life compel us, sometimes wisely, sometimes unwisely, into some expression of doing. So sometimes it appears, it appears, like I choose to do, and we love this word choice, another one which rarely gets examined, and, or I say, well I didn't really choose it, but nevertheless I had to do it, whatever that might be. And so the doer engages in the doing, which sooner or later brings a result. In the movement of the doer to the doing to the result, the time gap between the doing and the result can be very short, very short. But the time gap can also be very, very long. And it isn't unusual <coughs> for all of us, as we know, to engage, to become a doer, engage in the activity. And in the movement of time, there are things in that activity which we are doing which we have a blind spot about. We don't see. It's the Dharma language, it's the avijja. It's the ignorance, meaning the ignoring of. So we engage in activity. There is the doer who is engaged in what is being done, who experiences in different ways results of what we do. And sometimes some of the results, but not necessarily all of them, can be, as we only know too well, rather painful. I start off with a great idea, a great vision, a great initiative, a great job, a great activity. I'm doing it, I'm working really hard at it. And I can call it practice, I can call it meditation, I can call it work, a job, a career, whatever. I'm doing it, I'm working hard at it. And I may not see, in what I am doing, the doer may not see all that is going on. In the inability, and it's very common, that we don't see all that is going on, the ignoring of, or the lack of recognition of, as it happens, sometimes the result is the complete opposite of what one anticipated. Sometimes it's called marriage. <laughs> Parenting. Travelling, whatever we're doing at the time. And it can seem like, at times, one engagement in a doing can be pleasurable and the long-term effect can be extraordinarily painful because we did something. We have it across the road and something hits us. The incident was short-lived. They're just running across the road. The bicycle, the rickshaw, whatever, hit me. I sprain myself, I break a leg, I break an arm, etc. The short-term event is like that. Something is unseen, the long-term pain is much longer. So it, the, the challenge for us is looking, uh, being aware of the doer, exploring the engagement with the doing, and seeing the relationship between 
doer, the doing and the results of what we do. Why? Because it's our life. It's our life. Our life is wrapped up, not totally, mercifully, thank God, but it seems to be conventionally very wrapped up in the doer, the doing and the effect of what we do. Sometimes, for some of us, there is something of a shift inside which takes place and the shift inside of us says I've got this mind, heart, mind, whatever you might call it and I look at the condition of it and sometimes one is appalled at the condition of it and sometimes one thinks well it's bearable and sometimes think looking at others, God, there but for the grace of God go I. And sometimes one feels, I weigh it up, I look at my life, it seems to have more pleasure in it than pain, more happiness in it than sorrow, more joy in it than misery. Well, on the balance, I'm doing fairly well, we might say. Or another person may look and say, on balance, oh, it's a nightmare, I'm more miserable than I'm happy, I'm more worried than I have peace of mind, etc. I wake up more... Uh, mo- wake up more mornings feeling what the hell am I doing in this wretched country and um, then I wake up feeling great to be out of the West <laughs> or whatever it might be so the move goes backwards and forwards and sometimes we say I need to do something about my inner life it's the only instrument I've got for dealing with this existence I haven't got any, uh, any, any, any other one so I'll need to attend to it And therefore, in that activity, I engage in something to do with it. I work in it and work on it. This working with and working on, hopefully, has the intention of either, this is important, changing what I do, radically, and some of us have walked out on things, changing what I do, uncompromisingly changing what I do, or changing the relationship to what I do. And it can be at times that the hardcore question to the doer is asking oneself, am I going to change what I do? Or what I'm involved in, the same thing? Or am I going to change my relationship to it? Or him, or her, or that, or this. Sometimes in the tradition it's said always makes me feel uncomfortable uh, in one of the old Buddhist texts for example, I think it's the the Sudhimaga, Path of Purification a kind of one liner which frequently gets repeated and that is there is no doing, no sorry, there is no doer there is just events rolling on there is just actions or activities rolling on and they just roll on uh, but there is no doer of the event they're just processes unfolding and there is no doer I'm not sure whether this beloved Buddhist view which has been put out for 2000 years I think should be put to rest because If one says there's no doer, or no agent, and there is 
just the activities which are uh, going on, it might temporarily make the doer who or the agent feel relaxed. So it's not me. It's nice, it's nice for you. Oh, not me, that's not me, it's not self, it's not self. Oh, this is good dharma, I'm really clear, it's just actions and processes going on, there's no doer. It's, there's just doing, or there's just actions and activities taking place. There's two major problems with this view, never expressed by the Buddha. I quickly get in. Let me, about there is no doer. There's no, nowhere in the text that says this. There are two problems that go with this. The first one, if there is no doer, and it's just rolling on events going on, then there ain't no responsibility. How could there be? Responsibility is not in the rolling on event. The responsibility is, ends up, whether you and I like it or not, totally in the lap of the doer. And it's not very easy to convince ourselves there's no doer when the fruit of action comes. When we've done something, and it has some kind of impact upon us. I don't know about you, I can't give you this, oh no, 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 no. Just doing. <laughs> the experience of the result, the doer who is the agent who has now become the one who experienced the fruit, it sure like feels like someone is experiencing the fruit. Pleasurable or painful. And it doesn't feel like it's just unfolding events and there is no doer involved. And we can't even get away from it with the language as well. So, when, you're, when we're over in the chai shop, we don't say, um, what is your being today? <laughs> well, you might do if you're a little Buddhist. But you're much more likely to say, what are you doing today? And then, frankly, there's not much to do, is there? You, okay? you just sit, walk, barfy, sleep, really. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the convention, in the, there is an, an, an expression of life that goes on where there is the doing taking place and there is the doer who is engaged in it and it seems like, it feels like we're, life is constantly impacting and touching upon us, which affects you and me, who is the doer. And sometimes we know we are fed up with being a doer. For some it got you on an aeroplane to India. Because you're fed up with work, work. And one of the great joys of life, as we know that when there is a great deal of work which is taking place, there is no better feeling in life than experiencing the end of the doer. It's a wonderful feeling. So we're doing, 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 whatever it might be. We might be making something, or creating something, or writing something, whatever it is, and you get to the end of it. And we know that we have to, we know we've come to the end of it. God, 
and we say, I don't have to do this anymore. It's finished. It's a lovely feeling. I've done it. Having written books, the best feeling about writing a book is the end of writing it. It's out of the way. So the sense and the feeling of appreciation of the ending of the doer is a wonderful feeling. So our life tends to move conventionally backwards and forwards between the doer and the non-doing. Sometimes, if we are of passive disposition, there is a resistance to the doer. Oh, we hear it all the time, don't we? Oh, I've got to do this. This is the voice of resistance. I really need to do this. <coughs> God, I've just got so much to do. So the doer is then solidified and it has further impact upon it through resistance. So there's the doer, there's the resistance, and the self, the I and me and my, builds up. Then we have to do what we have to do. It is then over and done with, and once again we're back in the comfort zone for a few minutes of not having to do. And our life can be this movement from birth to death. Yuck. Just to live like that. Do a do a do a. Few hours off on a Sunday. And back to the grindstone on Monday. Whatever. So, this world of do a some relief, do a and some relief, this whole construction needs some re looking at. In the meditator's world, which has its blessings and its limitations, it's probably the most popular place, or one of them, not always, for non-doing. Meditation is the refuge from those who hate doing anything. Because it gives the appearance that you're doing something. <laughs> when in fact you're doing sod all. You're just sitting there, you're walking up and down. But it conveys to others, look, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting. This is, this is what I'm doing. There. So in the state of sitting and doing minimal, which is, impresses people, and the longer that one sits and the more minimalist one is about it, the more impressed other people get there. And one gets likes this despite some wandering mind and inability to focus and some knee pains, etc. But at least one doesn't have to do something. Which, of course, is extremely convenient because one's meditating. And this, therefore, leaves all the other poor sods to do everything for one because one's a serious meditator. So meditation is something that was dreamed up in this country 3,000 years ago 
for all those who are too lazy to do anything. <laughs> really. <coughs> Huge monasteries were created and people supported it. It's a phenomena. And we know too that it's a serious joke. <laughs> that in the sitting meditations, or the walking meditations, we take the sitting meditation, so much appreciation there is for the non-doing that we can experience and we can know that even the slightest little bit of movement one just moves to scratch the knee or to twiddle with the little toe unconsciously or whatever it might be and there is a real feeling and sense in that moment that one has done far too much for the day <laughs> that I really shouldn't have moved I didn't want to what? I didn't want to do that. I just want to be still. I don't want to do anything. So any kind of movement that go, goes on seems to go against the view and the perception and the feeling and the sense of I want to be engaged without the doer. I want to be present without the doer. I don't want to move my fingers because that, that, that's I've done something. The doer is back, at least for a few centimetres. <coughs> so there is something deep, deep in the being which has some appreciation for the non-doing. But the identification with it, I've, I've got Siddhartha here, don't go away, it's a good piece. The identification with it can bring about further reluctance to do anything. And sometimes with notice boards and invitations. Service is such a lovely idea. Oh, we're all equal. We're all sharing. We're all doing something, brothers. Sometimes we have to drag people kicking and screaming to get them to put their name on to do something like repair a lock, collect some water, brush the. the here, the meditators would sit here, been complaining about dust for weeks. They would sit here up to their neck in it. <laughs> because they don't want to move. <laughs> so, something between the non-doing... This is why I'm having the meeting tomorrow evening, by the way. Something between the non-doing and the doing, that the idea is that there is a substantial difference between the non-doing and the doing. Between the doer and the, the non-doer. And it's not an easy nut, as it were, to crack. All right, we go to Siddhartha, better. Being in, being in um, dear old uh, Saranath, I mean, not to mention Siddhartha would be tragic. So, I don't know if you know, this is um, the novel of Hermann Hesse. It's a classic. It's a, a classic. And uh, the earlier translation, early 1950s, I prefer. And Hesse, by the way, um, he family had been to India and he came to India and he travelled around India, I think before the First World War, it must be getting 90 years or more ago. 
and it was back then in 1922 he wrote uh, Siddhartha and this uh, novel reflects a little bit of his perceptions and uh, his experiences in India and immediately after the Second World War he uh, received a Nobel uh, Prize for uh, literature and when I was on the road doing the hitch from uh, Europe through to, uh, through to India, this is in the uh, summer of uh, 67. This, this, this book had biblical authority for the people on the road. You know, what the Quran is to our Muslim brothers and sisters is nothing compared with Siddhartha for the travellers on the road. I really. This is, and um, in it, Siddhartha is a young guy and he's disillusioned with the world around him and he and Govinda, his good close friend, they go off and they go on a, go on a search. Yeah. And Govinda connects up with Gautama, the Buddha, the awakened one. But Siddhartha, he doesn't want to do that, so he just carries on. Radha, whose birthday today, she, she, you read it in one sitting, didn't you? Yes. Or one meditation or something. And um, uh, so, Siddhartha decides to go off on his own, on his own search, on his own, 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 own quest. And then he comes to a point, a nice, nice, nice point. It says, he says that nothing in the world had occupied his thoughts as much as Atman, as the, reaching, reaching the true nature of things, or whatever you want, want to call it. Then the, then the thinker arose in him. He started thinking. And Siddhartha said, the thinker, slowly going on his way, suddenly stood still, gripped by this thought, and another thought immediately arose from this one. It was, the reason why I do not know anything about myself, the reason why Siddhartha has remained alien and unknown to myself, is due to one thing, to one single thing. I was afraid of myself. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I wished to destroy myself, to get away from myself. I was fleeing from myself. I was seeking Brahman. I was seeking truth. I was seeking reality, Atman, etc. I wished to destroy myself, to get away from myself, in order to find in the unknown innermost the nucleus of all things. Atman, life, the divine, the absolute. But by doing so, I lost myself on the way. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. This could easily happen. We elevate great metaphysics called truth, reality, true nature, Atman, Brahman, emptiness, Nirvana, liberation, enlightenment. Blah, blah, blah. And sometimes, in order to doing all that, all the practices towards that, somehow, easily we can lose ourselves uh, uh, on the way. Siddhartha looked up and looked around him. A smile crept over his face and a strong feeling of awakening from a long dream spread right through his being. Immediately he walked on again quickly like a man who knows what he has to do. Yes, he thought, breathing deeply. <laughs> you get the point. Anyway. I will no longer try to escape from Siddhartha. I will no longer devote my thoughts to Atman and the sorrows of the world. 
I will no longer mutilate or destroy myself in order to find the secret behind the ruins. I will learn from myself. I'll be my own pupil. I will learn from myself the secret of Siddhartha. Nice. And then he carries on. And then he meets um, Kamala. And she is a courtesan. Well, the gross language today, a high-class prostitute. But courtesan has a different meaning in ancient India. One who is providing a rather nice service, we could call it like that. And I'll, I'll come to that in a minute. So, there is a dua. In the tradition, Dharma tradition, Buddha tradition, in the teachings of the Buddha, there is a genuinely strong encouragement to practice. And the practice is skillful ways and means to change the inner life, to move from something old and unsatisfactory to something which feels healthier, wiser and clearer. And in the states of mind which are difficult, they in the tradition are called hindrances. And the reason they're called hindrances because they hinder something. They hinder one from realizing or seeing something else. So when of the, any of the hindrances, <coughs> called greed or selfishness, negativity, boredom, dullness, restlessness, anxiety, fear, doubt, these are the major hindrances. Whenever these arise, one isn't dissolving them just to feel happier in oneself, one isn't dissolving them to be a good person, therefore as an ethic, nor is one to have an easy relationship with other people because the hindrances place pressure on others. reason for its dissolution is, I want to be able to see what is the experience without being caught in a hindrance. Is there something, so to speak, behind the cloud, and sometimes the very dark cloud of my hindrances, which is worth having access to. Because the hindrance obscures the reality. It hinders the seeing of the reality. And the classic example which is used in the text, and I've used it, and the Buddha's used it, and many others over the years, is of the snake and the rope, or the snake and the branch, in which no, Sudhi Nan's been telling one or two snake stories. <laughs> so I'm going to resist, I think. And so when he's walking through the forest, it's dark. When we were monks, we had a cocoa tin. Hole was cut in the front of it. Put a little candle in. Held the cocoa tin with a piece of string. Had a stick in the other hand with a stick. So any ants or creatures or snakes got out of the way and the cocoa tin with a candle inside with a hole cut in the front of it gave about a metre, maybe two metres of light and this is what we used in the forest. And all the monks knew that there was one snake which did not move no matter what. There could be a truck bearing down the, the, the track and it would stay still and it was always rested in a circle, not line, and it just waited. 
So this we were very poor, respectful to. And other states as well. And sometimes one would look and everything in the eyes revealed the snake. <coughs> Total 110% conviction. And one stood there and saw on the ground the snake and every sensation in the body confirmed it. <laughs> Summarising one word called terror. <coughs> and one would look and would see snake, head, body, tail, light, and one would look and just keep still. Except the quote-unquote snake kept just as still. And you looked, and you looked, and you looked, and you looked, and you looked. One didn't move, it didn't move. This happened happen several times, and then one looked again, and it wasn't a snake. And all the sensations then changed again. How is it that in one moment there is the perceived reality of a great problem in front of me? Do I move? Do I stand still? What do I do? The snake is just inches from my feet. And one looks again and it's just a branch. How did I see that? And I can't, I don't know the moment when it began to be seeing it as a snake. I don't know what happened that it suddenly stopped being a snake. But what it was and what it is now has changed. What was a problem has ceased to be a problem. I don't know where it began or where it finished. The hindrances are like seeing the snake. Strange world. In the looking, in the exploration with this, there is the doer, the tradition as I said, has said, okay, let's we'll take the fact of the doer, let's do things which help us to understand our life. <coughs> Meditate. Be mindful, be present, share, communicate. Let's see if that generates for us a deeper receptivity, a greater love, a greater awareness. Let's do something. There are others, bless them, who will say, and sometimes we hear, oh, there is nothing you can do. And in the tradition sometimes of India, but not only of India, but in other religious tra traditions, the review is taken that the human being in our circumstance are completely helpless to do anything which is meaningful. Nothing. And the one line is, there is nothing that you can do. And therefore, the view, which is a belief system, is, there's nothing you can do Therefore, if it's going to happen, whatever this great event will be, if it's going to happen, it will just happen. And if it isn't going to happen, it just won't happen. And so the lovers of not doing anything say, oh, great. Now I've got an ideology to fit in with my laziness. A deep, profound one. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing you can do. 
I think sometimes teachers who expound this view would be better if they said, there's nothing I can do for you. <laughs> no. So, we go back to Siddhartha, because some people will get irritated with what I say if I carry on. <laughs> so, Siddhartha, living the life of the Shamana, the ascetic, the wanderer, the seeker, the explorer, living the solitary life and just moving in those kind of circles, etc., comes to um, a place in a, in, a, in a grove and he sees Kamala, this is a, a very beautiful courtesan. She's just <coughs> going by and he's like, whoa. Men are always men, nothing's changed, is it? And um, so he wants to, to see her, to meet with her, to talk with her. You know, when you've been living a set, an ascetic life for years and you're celibate, etc., etc., and suddenly beautiful woman passes by there yeah. and she talks to him they have some conversation <coughs> and she says to him what can you do so she's interested in the summoner named Siddhartha and she says what, what can you do and he says rather three immortal lines and I remember years ago I don't remember anything about the book except these three lines and when I was on the road before I ordained I used to kind of run through rather regularly, too regularly. She said, what can you do? He says, I can do three things. I can think. Oh, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I can wait, and I can fast. That's what I can do. I can think, I can wait, and I can fast. Not exactly tremendous statements about doing something, I'd have to say. <laughs> I do think something. I can think, I can wait, and I can fast. And then... He says to her, and, and then he says, nothing else, she says to him. And he says, well, nothing. Oh, yes, I can compose poetry. Nice. Yeah. And then he says, will you give me a kiss for a poem? And he, she says, I will do so if your poem pleases me. What is it called? Then Siddhartha has to think of a poem. So he gives her the poem. Into her grove went the fair Kamala. At the entrance in the grove stood the brown Samana. As he saw the lotus flower, deeply he bowed. Smiling, acknowledged Kamala. Better thought the young Samana, this is nice, I like it, to make sacrifices to the fair Kamala than to offer sacrifices to the gods. <laughs> In other words, if you're going to do something, like make sacrifices, well, get something in return, and there's more assurance with the kiss than, than from the gods, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> obviously. Sometimes, for some people, in the action of the doing, there has to be, for the dedicated meditators and practitioners, have I worked on myself enough? How will I know when I have? What will it tell me? Because in a subtle way, the practitioner is a doer. Doing something, doing my practice. I'm doing my meditation, I'm doing my walking meditation, I'm going to a group or whatever it might be. 
And in that movement there is something which we are doing there. And we can't know when is the time when there has been or there is enough doing done already. Like my thought can't tell me I've done enough because there is always more to do. And the reason that we have the thought there is always more to do in terms of working on myself is because the habit of the thought is said there is always more to do. It's not like a great awareness or realisation. We have gradually in the flow of the time said I've got so much work to do on myself. Every time my mind wanders, every time my ego comes up, every time I'm clinging to something, every time I'm dissatisfied, whatever. It only reminds me, the thought says, only reminds me I've got so much to do on myself. And so it gains a kind of continuity in time of always having to do something, work on myself. So for some, the message about there is nothing you can do may, for some, strike an important and invaluable chord because it may just enter and interrupt and maybe even cut the whole notion of doing. And if I cut the notion of doing, I'm actually cutting simultaneously the doer. I begin to get a sense in life that the doer is bound up with the movement in time. The doer has the, carries with it the seed or the idea if I do more, I'll get more in return. If I do more, I'll get something for all that I've put into my doing. And I think this whole structure has to get looked at and has to be challenged. And it's just a conditioned way of looking. And so I say again that the wise voice is that there is nothing to do when it's got wisdom with it is a very important voice. When it hasn't, it's a contribution to apathy, silly, foolish, naive views and opinions and lazy teachers. And so then the poor followers and disciples go around with the mantra, oh, there's nothing to do, there's nothing you can do. And what happens is they just end up, what do they end up doing? They end up following the teacher who tells them there's nothing to do. And that's what they're doing. But wisely approached, decisively approached, it can and is intended to act as a challenge there. And we then might ask ourselves, if I am a doer, I have as the support for the doer the idea, not only is there something to be done, but there is something missing. Something I haven't got to, something I haven't accomplished something I haven't reached. Could it be that the doer is the problem? 
maybe everything is already utterly fulfilled, utterly complete, and there is not a scrap of difference is going to, nothing is going to make a scrap of difference to the fulfillment and completion which is already, no matter what I do. Life is already fulfilled. How can I add something to it? Life is already what it is. And I can't organise it, and I can't shape it, and I can't control it, and I can't keep it, and I can't even organise the results of what I do so that they fit in with the doer. The doer's got no handle over the outcome. That's why marriage is the best metaphor. It's got no best intentions, doesn't mean anything in the scheme of things. Therefore, could it be for some in the hall? Time has come to lose interest in the doer and the doing. If so, if this is understood, if it's genuinely understood, the world of differences begin to fall apart. They have to. If I realise I can't get anything from doing, if I really realise that, there's not a scrap of difference <coughs> between sitting on the medication... Medication? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good Freudian slip, that one. All right. <coughs> sitting on the cushion and engaging in service. How could there be? My mind and thought will enter into it and make a difference. It will make a split, the thought. It will say, oh, it will have a duality. And the duality would, could be for some, oh, service is more important. That reinforces the doer. And others will say, no, no, meditation is more important. That reinforces the non-doing. Yeah. But if life is already full and complete, and nothing is holdable or hold on, can hold on to anything whatsoever, movement and non-movement is completely irrelevant. Completely irrelevant. Somebody who says, practice, doing, 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 that's what you've got, that's what you've got to practice, practice. It's just a one-sided view. And somebody who says, there's nothing to do, nothing to do, nothing to do, it's just another sided view. There is no difference between the cushion and service. And if, if the culture, if the environment of men and women understand this, stillness and movement are just two interpretations of life. In the nature of things, there's neither movement nor stillness. In the nature of things, there's neither movement nor stillness. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings live a free life. A couple of uh, quiet minutes.